Let's pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that um, I thank you that your word's so real and that it speaks to uh, every area of our lives and uh, even uh, some of the painful struggles that we have. And so we pray that this day that uh, your word would minister to us in the midst of our worry and anxiety and uh, that we would experience some, uh, some degree of freedom even today as we think through the truths of your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, generally speaking, kings or politicians or presidents, uh, they love fear. They love fear. But because as Richard Nixon said, right, he, he's an American president back in the 70s, uh, Richard Nixon uh, said, people react to fear, not love. Right? He says they, they don't teach you that in Sunday school, but it's true. People react to fear, not love. Right? Politicians know that. They know that uh, if they can get us, you and me, to be afraid or anxious or worried, uh, they'll be much more likely to get our vote. Because the emotional response of fear, of anxiety, it triggers the, the fight-flight response in our bodies. And when you're in that kind of heightened state, uh, that state of fear, that the frontal lobe of your brain, where you pretty much uh, do all your rational thinking, uh, it basically switches off. Uh, so your capacity for rational thought, for critical engagement, is dramatically reduced. You're in survival mode. You're viewing everything in your life through the lens of fear. Politicians know that. right? They know that fear is a powerful motivator. And we see it from both sides of politics here in Australia. Right? The conservatives on the right uh, have us believe that we're all going to be destroyed by Muslim terrorists. That our economy is going to be devastated by renewable energies. That we can't let too many migrants into our country because they'll take all of our jobs. Uh, that children and families are going to be ripped apart uh, by those attacking traditional definitions of marriage, of sexuality, of gender. Right? I'm not saying there's nothing to be concerned about there. There is. Lots of things to be concerned about. I just want you to see how our politicians are trying to generate a culture of fear. They're trying to make us afraid. The left's no different, no better. Uh, if you elect this party, they'll destroy your health care. They'll take away your pension. Uh, the world's going to end because of climate change. Uh, we can't have this plebiscite on same-sex marriage because the debate's going to be so vicious uh, that young people, uh, homosexual uh, young people, are going to be committed, committing suicide all over the place and it's going to be on your head if you don't legalise euthanasia, you're basically condemning people to die slow and painful and undignified deaths. Is that what you want? Right, once again, I'm not saying like, these are big issues. I'm not saying there's nothing to be concerned about. There is. I'm just wanting you to see that wherever you stand politically, our politicians are trying to generate fear in us. They know that one of the best ways for them to gain power and maintain power is to keep us in a state of fear and anxiety and worry. And that's why this passage is so good. This passage from the Sermon on the Mount, it's incredibly refreshing because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is setting up his kingdom. He's laying out what his administration is going to look like, his global government. And it's very clear that he doesn't want his people, his disciples, to be afraid. No anxiety, no worry. Right? He doesn't want us to follow him, to give our lives to him, to submit to him, because we're anxious. Right? It's the opposite, isn't it? As we live under his rule, he wants to take away our anxiety. He wants us to experience freedom from anxiety. 
Uh, so first of all, uh, you can see that in the sermon outline, there's four C's there. Uh, first of all, uh, when we talk about this uh, anxiety, uh, what exactly are we talking about? What, what's this condition of anxiety? I'm not going to get to the passage for a little while. I just want to kind of set some things up here. Uh, first of all, I want to make it very clear that uh, when I'm talking about this topic of anxiety, uh, it's not something that's abstract for me. It's not impersonal. Uh, those uh, of you who know me uh, a little bit better will know that in general, I'm not exactly Mr. Chilled, right? I've got a, I've got a pretty highly strung personality. Uh, so it's not unusual for me to feel unsettled or, or stressed, uh, even to feel anxious in life. Like that, that's a part of my personality I have to manage. And sometimes I haven't managed it very well. Right? So between the ages of 18 and 22, I personally was on and off medication for anxiety. It was what the uh, doctors call a, a general anxiety disorder, GAD for short. I think it gets thrown around. And it came really from my perfectionism. So afraid of failing, uh, so afraid of not being good enough. I was just filled with anxiety. And, and it was pretty intense. I remember lying at wake uh, pretty much every night, feeling like, I don't know if you've had this experience, but like feeling like my whole body was kind of crawling with anxiety. I remember one day that I felt so out of control that I ran uh, uh, two or three kilometres to the local school where my mum works. Uh, I remember, like 19 years old, right? So I ran to the local school. My mum's working in the classroom. I, I pulled her out of the classroom because I just couldn't cope, right? I, I had to have a moment with my mum. Needed a hug. Right, so for me, that this, this, whole, this passage is not just the next passage in the Sermon on the Mount. Right? It's a passage I've come back to again and again as I've struggled with my own anxiety. I'm familiar with this condition. And I know that I'm not alone. Right? I know that many of you here struggle with anxiety. You know what it's like to, to be constantly worried, to, to have your mind racing, to have your heart rate up, to have sweaty palms, to feel out of control, uh, perhaps even to feel paralysed by fear, like you c literally can't do anything. You know exactly what that's like. So I just wanted to make that clear that today this is, this is not some intellectual engagement with anxiety. I've experienced it, you've experienced it. Uh, one in four people in Australia have experienced it. It's real, it's personal. So given how personal it is, I did want to be clear about a couple of things. First thing, I want to be, I want to be clear that some anxiety is both normal and healthy. Right? God designed us with that fight-flight response. I mentioned that earlier. So whenever we're confronted with a threatening situation, we're ready to either fight it or run away from it. That's a good thing. So some anxiety is both normal and healthy, but of course not all anxiety Sometimes we're afraid of perfectly legitimate things. It's rational. It's clear. The anxiety prepares us for action. But most of our anxiety is not like that, is it? It's irrational. It's somewhat disproportionate. Instead of preparing us for action, it actually paralyzes us. So some anxiety is normal and healthy, but not all anxiety. Right? And as we think about that kind of unhelpful anxiety, uh, I wanted to introduce two categories uh, that you might find useful. I heard them uh, years ago from a Christian psychiatrist. Uh, on the one hand, he said that some anxiety uh, is a lot more like a broken leg. 
Right? So just, just as if someone came into hospital with a broken leg, uh, the doctor's first step is not going to be to kind of light some relaxation candles, uh, teach them about mindfulness, uh, do some deep breathing, uh, introduce... Like the, doctor, the first step's going to be to fix the broken leg, right? You've got to get that sorted before you can move on to other things. And that's what some anxiety's like. It, it's a physiological problem. It's a chemical problem. Uh, So first and foremost, it's got to be treated uh, with medication. That's typically the case if you suffer from, say, panic attacks, although not always. Uh, Maybe some uh, obsessions and compulsions, mania, certain phobias. A lot of these things, at least initially, they've got to be treated like a broken leg. It's a medical condition. It needs some medication. And we should not be ashamed about that as Christians. Medication is one of God's good gifts to us. Well, the way I see it is that I have to have this prescription for my eyes uh, so I can see the world a bit more clearly. I've got absolutely no shame about that. There's very little stigma attached to having glasses, is there? Uh, I mean, I, I know people who buy fashion glasses and they don't even need a prescription. Right? That, that's how little stigma there is. So no shame about having a prescription for your eyes. And at other times, I've needed a prescription for my mind so I could see my life a bit more clearly. And to be honest, I've not really had much shame about that either. And nor should you. Now, I know in an ideal world, none of us would need prescriptions for our eyes or our minds. Of course, that's the ideal, but we don't live in an ideal world, do we? We live in this world that's messed up and broken. And so sometimes, uh, whether it be for a short period of time or perhaps even for your whole life, Uh, you might need some medication. In this case, because your anxiety uh, is uh, a bit more like a broken leg. Uh, On the other hand, there's a whole lot of anxiety that's more in the category of wonky thinking. Broken legs and wonky thinking. give you some examples. Uh, uh, You catastrophize things. If this happens, uh, it'll be the end of the world. You might not say that exactly, but that's what you're thinking. You polarise things, right? So for you, life is either black or white. There's no grey at all, no nuance. You filter things. So you can only ever hear negative or critical or threatening things. Perhaps you generalise things. right? You allow one small thought, like a drop of ink in some water, to colour your whole life. Maybe some of those... Patterns of thinking are familiar to you, right? You might not need medication for that, but uh, you've got all this wonky thinking and, and you need some help. And that's also okay. But I wanted to give you those two categories because as we look at this passage, I didn't want to seem simplistic. As if, you know, if you just hear Jesus' command, do not worry and obey it. It's that simple. Right? It's a bit more complicated than that. In fact, if, if you think your anxiety is a bit more like a broken leg, like you've you probably got to get that sorted before you can get maximum value out of this passage, before you can apply these truths to your life effectively. You can talk to me if you like, someone you trust. You might have to see a GP, get a mental health plan, uh, chat about medication. Oh, like I'm not saying this passage won't help you at all, but I am saying it'll be of more use to you uh, once you've sorted out your broken leg. So that's really just all a bit of context, right, about the condition of anxiety. I hope it's uh, helpful. 
Uh, what about the command of anxiety? I find that that's pretty clear in the passage, isn't it? Three times, uh, if you look at the passage, three times Jesus commands his disciples not to worry. And it is a command. Right in verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Uh, verse 31, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Verse 34, he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Right? Jesus is making it very clear that he doesn't want his disciples to worry. Right? That's kind of the negative side of his command. Right? Don't worry. Right? The positive side is in verse 33. He says, rather than kind of, uh, I'm paraphrasing, I'll give you a bit of context, right? rather than having your life ruled by worry, uh, allow your life to be ruled by your heavenly Father. Right? That's what he means when he says, seek first the, the kingdom of your Father, the kingdom of God. Uh, so Jesus' main command in this passage has those two aspects, right? Don't be worried. Instead, seek first the kingdom of your heavenly Father. That's the command. Jesus' command in relation to the anxiety. So it's really that simple, isn't it? The command's there. I remember having this conversation with my dad once. Uh, he's uh, quite a kind of um, not an overly emotional uh, person. And, uh, and, I, and I was experiencing anxiety. And, and I was talking to him about that. And he said, well, Jesus says, don't worry. So I don't. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful if life was that simple? It is for my dad. Uh, but like for me, that didn't quite cut it, right? It's not usually that simple to, to kind of hear Jesus' command and just stop worrying. Because his command doesn't address the core of our anxiety. It doesn't deal with the root cause of our anxiety. It doesn't penetrate deeply enough. So what does cause our anxiety? What's the core of it? I've already said that, that some of our anxiety has got a physiological cause. right? I, I, I'm acknowledging that. It needs medication. But I do want to say that it's virtually never just physiological. Look in verse 30, the end of verse 30 in particular. I read from the start. Jesus says, If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Little faith, right? The, the, the reason we get anxious, the reason we worry, is that we've got little faith. But sure, on one level... We believe in God. If you're a Christian, you, you trust in God, uh, but you, your belief doesn't infiltrate every area of your life. It's like you've got these little pockets of unbelief. I believe God for that stuff, but not that stuff. Right? So in the, in the trenches of everyday life, you, you kind of forget who your God is. You forget who you are. You forget the purpose of life. What it's, what's it all about? And so you're filled with fear and worry and anxiety. So life here is being presented as a battle. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is reaching the end of his life and he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Right? He compares the Christian life to a fight. It's not a fight that we have with other people, it's a fight in our own hearts. The fight of faith. The fight between faith and unbelief. You of little faith, Jesus says. Much of our anxiety is caused by our lack of faith, our unbelief. That's the core of our anxiety. Now, I remember when I first heard that, and maybe some of you are similar to me, uh, and you find that discouraging. 
at first because you thought your anxiety was just a, a part of your personality. Or, or maybe you thought it was purely physiological, right? It didn't have anything to do with your faith, nothing to do with what was going on in your heart. But Jesus says it's got everything to do with that. So if you do find that discouraging, I understand that. Uh, Let me ask, uh, how would you feel if you were like my cousin? My cousin Tom, uh, a few years ago, he'd been having headaches, uh, feeling nauseous, uh, doing every test under the sun, uh, and uh, had all sorts of different medications. None of them were helping. Uh, In the end, they discovered that he had a brain tumour. So they discovered that his problem was a whole lot deeper than they had originally thought. It wasn't just a migraine, right? There was actually a cancer there. Now, on one level, that was horrible news, of course. Like, no one wants to have cancer. But on another level, I remember talking to him, and there was, there was great relief there. Because at least he finally knew what the problem was. And he could actually get some treatment that didn't just manage his symptoms a bit, but dealt with the cancer itself that got to the heart of it, to the core of the problem. Likewise, I get that it's discouraging to hear that the core of your anxiety is your unbelief. You of little faith, right? I'm in the same boat. But at least we now know what the problem is, right? Where we can get some treatment that, that doesn't just fiddle around with symptoms, but actually drives to the core of the problem, that deals with the root cause of our anxiety. Uh, Others here might be thinking, yeah, but if my anxiety is caused by my unbelief and if I experience lots of anxiety, intense anxiety, uh, every day, uh, do you think I'm even a Christian? That could be a question. Like, have I got any faith? Well, remember, in 2 Timothy 4, Paul compares the Christian life not just to a fight, but to a race. He's, uh, he's finished the race, he says. Right. So uh, imagine for a moment that uh, that you are in a, uh, driving in a car race. I'm sure lots of you know motorsport fans here. Probably not that many actually. Uh, I'm not even one. Uh, but anyway, uh, so a car race. So you're driving this car race. You start on the right track. Right? Uh, you, you're, you're driving on the right track. You can see the whole course kind of laid out in front of you. Uh, you can even see the finish line. Like it's going great. The, it, it's all clear. Uh, But then one of the other drivers, an opponent, an enemy of yours, uh, throws mud across your windscreen. Uh, You you can't see where you're going. You're swerving all over the road. Uh, You you actually feel like you're going to have to drop out of the race, or you feel like you have to quit. Now, of course, that doesn't mean you're on the wrong track, does it? In fact, if you were on the wrong track, your opponent wouldn't have bothered throwing mud at you. He only did that because you were on the right track. So what do you have to do? You have to... Spray a bit of water on your windscreen. Turn your wipers on. Get your rag out. Trust that over time you'll see the track ahead more clearly and you'll finish the race. It's a little bit like that with Christianity and anxiety. You might feel, it might be, that that Satan has thrown the mud of anxiety right across your spiritual windscreen, if you like. And at times, you might feel like that's completely blocking your view of God, of yourself, of the Christian life. You might be tempted to quit. You might think you have to quit. But I suspect you're not on the wrong track. I suspect Satan knew you were on the right track and attacked you by throwing the mud of anxiety across your path. And this is a fight between faith and unbelief. 
So what we're doing today as we look at the rest of this passage is that we're, we're kind of getting out our spiritual windscreen washer. We're, we're turning on the wipers. Hopefully as we do that we can start to see things more clearly as, as in a sense the lies of Satan, our enemy, right, the lies that fill us with anxiety and fear, those lies are replaced by the truths of God our Father that fill us with peace and security. That's what we're doing for the rest of this time. And so that's the cure of anxiety. So you'll notice in this passage that Jesus does not just give those commands. Right? I drew those commands out. But there's actually lots of the word for or therefore in this passage, which tells you that there's lots of rational arguments. Jesus is giving us a whole lot of reasons, uh, truths, for why we shouldn't be anxious. Uh, there's at least seven of them. I'm going with seven today. Right, seven reasons for why we shouldn't be anxious. And if you preach these to your heart, over time, I reckon, you'll experience more faith and unbelief and less anxiety. That's the aim. So yeah, let, let me go through these reasons. Uh, the first reason uh, is that life is about much more than preserving or prolonging your life. Well, life is about much more than preserving or prolonging your life. It's there in verse 25. Jesus says, uh, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about uh, your body, what you will wear. Why? Right? Here's the four. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. I don't know if you've been anxious before. Probably you have. Uh, But one of the symptoms of my anxiety is that I get kind of tunnel vision. I get the blinkers on. Right? All I can see uh, is this one thing. I can't see anything else. I'm kind of consumed by it. Jesus knows that's what worry and anxiety does. He knows that it restricts our vision. So here, he's trying to broaden our vision so we can see what life's really about. He's saying, remember, life isn't just about the nourishment and pleasure of food. It's not about being protected by beautiful or uh, clothes. It's it's not even about preserving or prolonging your life, protecting your body. That's not what life's about. Life's about seeking first the kingdom of your Father. It's about doing whatever you can for whatever time you have to see his name hallowed. Remember the start of this chapter. His name hallowed, his kingdom come, his will being done. That's what life's about. It's not to be anxious about food or clothing or even about your life. So what if you lose your life? You've got eternal life in the kingdom of God. I don't want to minimize that, right? But You see his argument. Life is about so much more than preserving or prolonging your life. So don't get caught up about those things. One argument. There you go. Second, verse 26. Have a look there. Jesus says, uh, don't be anxious because you can count on your heavenly Father to provide for you. Uh, Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Uh, I've got an office at the front of our house. I I often look out the windows. I did that during the week as I was reading these passages. Uh, This passage, I I saw some birds, and sure enough, Jesus was right. You know, none of them were sowing or reaping. I don't know if you've ever seen a bird sow or reap, but I never have. Uh, None of them were kind of anxiously hoarding away their food for the next six months. But none of them were doing that. Why? Because subconsciously they know God will provide for them. But they don't have to anxiously, fearfully hoard things away. They know that God will provide for them tomorrow just as he's done today. Jesus says, look at the birds. 
Now, of course, for birds, that, that's kind of a subconscious thing. For us, it's a, it's a conscious choice. We actually have to trust that, as Jesus says here, we, as God's precious children, are much more valuable to him than some sparrow. Much more valuable. Right? So you don't have to anxiously hoard things away as if your heavenly Father's going to forget you or reject you or, or stop caring about you. Look at the birds, Jesus says. He cares about them. How much more will he care about you? How much more does he know your needs? How much more will he provide for your needs over and over again, not just today, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day? He'll keep giving you your daily bread. Remember the Lord's Prayer. Oh, you see the same thing in verses 28 to 30, right? This time, though, it's, it's with flowers and clothes uh, rather than birds and food. Right? Jesus says, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Right, spring's coming soon, isn't it? So there's going to be lots and lots of flowers to look at. Let me encourage you to take Jesus' advice. Look at the flowers. Look at them. Look at how they don't work or earn or buy, and yet God clothes them with incredible beauty. A beauty much greater than Solomon in all his splendor, Jesus says. Right? Jesus is wanting us to, to remember that truth, to dwell on it, to, to meditate it. Right? If, if your heavenly Father is going to clothe some grass in a field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into a fire, how much more is he going to clothe you, his precious child? So don't be anxious, you see, his arguments. You can count on your heavenly Father to provide for you. Remind yourself of that truth in the fight of faith and unbelief, you see. Third reason Jesus gives uh, not to be anxious uh, is that anxiety is just not that productive. That's pretty pragmatic. Right? Look in verse 27. Uh, can any one of you by worrying and add a single hour to your life? Right? Well, we know this, right? Anxiety doesn't get us anywhere. I don't know about you, like I get to the end of the day where I've been anxious. Oh, thank goodness I was anxious. I got so much. I don't think that. I'm more productive if I'm not anxious, right? Like anxiety is useless. Now, most of us know that. But it's, maybe it's still a point. I mean, sometimes we think, we do actually live in a culture which kind of glorifies stress a bit. Oh, I'm so stressed. Like, it's kind of a badge of honour. If someone asks you how, you how you're going, you're not allowed to say, oh, I'm feeling really peaceful and content. No one says that, right? You've got to be busy. You've got to be stressed. You've got to be kind of white-knuckling life because that's honourable, right? Anyway, yeah, don't be anxious. It's just not that productive. Uh, fourth reason not to be anxious in verses 31 and 32. Uh, have a look there. Jesus says, uh, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Right, here comes the reason for... The pagans run after all these things. I see the argument. Don't be anxious about the things of this world. Remember last week we heard about treasures on earth. Don't be anxious about the things of this world as if you have to have this and that and that and that to be peaceful, to be content. Don't live like that. Don't, don't think like that. Because if you do, you're showing that you're more shaped by the values and ethics of this world, right? the, the pagan world, the unbelieving world, than by the values and king, uh, ethics of God's kingdom. Don't be anxious about those things. The pagans run after those things, Jesus says. You're different to them. He said it back in verse 8 when he was talking about prayer. So do not be like them. You've been transformed by the power of the gospel. 
Uh, fifth, uh, don't be anxious because uh, this is similar to an earlier one, right? But working through the passage, don't be anxious because your heavenly Father knows your needs. Uh, verse 31, Jesus says, uh, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? Uh, why? Two reasons. First, we just heard because the pagans run after these things. But second, because your heavenly Father knows that you need them. I mean, once again, this is the fight in our own hearts, faith or unbelief. I wonder if you really believe that. Do you really believe that your heavenly Father knows what you need? That he cares for what you need? That he'll provide for what you need? Or do you kind of anxiously think that you have to provide for your own needs? Because even though God uh, looks out for the sparrow and the, and the kind of flower, he's going to forget about you. Well, we know. I mean, it sounds silly when you put it like that, but it's rubbish, isn't it? God's not going to forget about you. Your Heavenly Father knows your every need. In fact, he knows what you need better than you know what you need. Right? And sometimes we've got to trust that, don't you? You can't understand why God hasn't provided this or that or the other. Well, it's an act of trust. It's the fight of faith. You think that you need that. Like my kids are like that. Like you think you need the extra chocolate, but Daddy knows best. You know, like I, sorry, I, like there, there are times where we have to trust God. Why hasn't God provided us with children yet? I don't know. But do you trust that He knows what you need? Why hasn't he provided me with a husband or wife yet? I don't know. But this is the fight of faith every day, trusting. Now, we can get anxious about that. We can go our own way. We can say, I'm going to sort things out for myself. Or we can trust that our Heavenly Father knows our every need, as Jesus says here. We've got to preach these truths to our hearts, to one another. Jesus' sixth reason for not being anxious is in verse 33. Uh, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that's your heavenly Father, and all these things will be given to you as well. So here's the choice. So you can allow your life to revolve around providing for your own needs. You can be really concerned about that. You can be anxious about that. But you see, there's an argument here. He's like, why would you do that when you can have your life revolve around your heavenly Father? Right? Your big concern uh, can be about him and his kingdom. If that's your big concern, what happens? Your heavenly Father concerns him himself with your needs. See, everything you need, all these things, Jesus says, will be given to you. So why would you bother kind of being so anxious about all your needs? Remember the Lord's Prayer. We looked at it. You're, you're, you're kind of, as a child of God, uh, the first three things you're praying for, the things you long for, uh, are all revolve around God, that his name would be hallowed, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done. It's not until after that that you get to your own needs, you see. Jesus is teaching us in how we pray. He's saying here, this is what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God. God and his glory come before you and your needs. But don't panic, because if you put God first, uh, God, your heavenly Father, will provide for all your needs. So you don't have to be anxious about your needs. Uh, the last reason for not being anxious is in verse uh, 34. Uh, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, Jesus says, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Right, Our Heavenly Father's planned every day of our lives. And Jesus is saying here that, that most of those days are going to have some trouble. They're going to have some pain. 
And now there's no problem with planning or kind of anticipating tomorrow's trouble. Like thinking this could happen, I want to be prepared, I want to be... But Jesus is saying, that, that, that's okay, planning, preparation, that's okay, but don't be anxious about tomorrow's troubles. Right? Don't act as if you can somehow deal with tomorrow's troubles today. You can't. Ask God for the strength to deal with today's troubles. Remember Lamentations, God's mercies are new every day. Ask God for the strength to deal with today's troubles, uh, tonight's troubles, the next hour's troubles. And trust that tomorrow he'll give you the strength for those troubles. Now, I know that's hard, but these are the truths we have to keep reminding ourselves of. So I hope you're getting the gist in this passage. Unlike pretty much every other leader, every ruler, every politician, Jesus does not want us to be anxious. He doesn't want you to be anxious. And as we tie together all these reasons, remember I said that the positive side of Jesus' main command in this passage, really the central cure for our anxiety, is seeking first God's kingdom. And how does that happen? It happens as we surrender our lives to Jesus, God's king, the king in God's kingdom. So that's where I wanted to land. Let me encourage you today, not, not just, I mean, it's great, like look at some birds that would be a wonderful thing to do. Look at some flowers. But really, you have to look to Jesus, don't you? To Jesus, God's King. Maybe today you've got to surrender to him afresh, uh, knowing that he is your great King. Right? He's in control of all things, even when you feel out of control. When you feel anxious, I feel anxious when things are out of control. Really, if to remind us of Jesus is our great King, he's in control of everything. He's able to provide for your every need. Right, so you surrender to Jesus as your great king and surrender to him as your good king. But right, He's not just able to provide for your needs, but he's willing to provide for your needs. And sometimes you might doubt that. You may say, but I really want this. Or I really need this. And, and Jesus isn't good because he's not providing for it. Let me say, look at the cross. Jesus has already provided for your greatest need. Surely you can count on him to provide for everything else that you need. He's kind of nailed his colours to the mast, to the cross, so to speak. He's shown his goodness, right? So surrender to Jesus, your, your good king, and surrender to him as your gracious king. Right? He, he laid down his life for all your sins, uh, including every last bit of your anxious unbelief. Right? And he has overflowing grace for you and me in our time of need. So I think the more you surrender to Jesus as your, your good and your great and your gracious king, uh, the more you, you live under his rule in every area of your life, uh, the more over time, like I'm not saying kind of click your fingers tonight, no more anxiety forever, right? I'm saying over time, you'll experience greater freedom from anxiety. That's what Jesus wants for us as his people. Let me pray. Uh, Father God, we do thank you for uh, this passage that teaches us uh, about how you want us to think about uh, anxiety and worry and fear uh, as uh, a part of your kingdom. And we thank you that our Lord Jesus is, is different, he's distinctive, uh, his rule is so liberating uh, that he doesn't want us to, to worry or be anxious. I pray that each of these uh, truths in this passage, uh, the seven that we've gone through and perhaps others, uh, that we'd be able to remind ourselves of these truths uh, each and every day, even moment by moment, as we fight the, the fight of faith. Uh, we know that uh, the unbelief in our hearts that, that pops out in all sorts of different situations. Father, please help us to keep reminding ourselves of these truths from your word. Uh, and please, in particular, help us to seek your kingdom first by surrendering to our Lord Jesus. 
uh, knowing that he's great and in control of all things, knowing that he's good and that he'll provide for all our needs, and knowing that he's gracious and that he welcomes uh, worrying, anxious sinners like us uh, into his kingdom. Uh, for his glory we pray. Amen.